you just bless this time as we finish up this wonderful book, the book of Joshua. And Lord, I pray that um, we would just uh, give our ears to you and our hearts to you right now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The last two chapters of the book of Joshua, Joshua has given his farewell address to the children of Israel. And of course, Joshua, an incredible man of faith, has been ministering faithfully for about 60 years as he was 40 years in the wilderness. And at that time, as Moses was the leader of the children of Israel, bringing them out of Egypt and into their wilderness wandering, Joshua was uh, called Moses' assistant there in the book of Exodus. So he was there simply serving Moses and ministering. He was, of course, one of the faithful spies along with Caleb that would give a good report about the land, but the other ten spies would say that we can't go into the land because of the giants. So Joshua has displayed has been an uh, example of a man of faith uh, as we have seen uh, him in the wilderness. And then, of course, with Moses dying after 40 years of of being with the children of Israel, it was Joshua that was commissioned and ordained to be the new leader of the children of Israel. So he brought them across the Jordan, as we saw. And seven years they would be battling as they drove out the inhabitants, and then 13 years was spent in dividing up the land. So for 60 years, we see that Joshua has been faithfully serving the Lord in what God has called him to do. And so Joshua, he, he summons the leaders of the children of Israel, and he's given their, his last address to them in chapters 23 and 24. And as I mentioned to you last week, that whenever that we see a man of faith in his final address to the people that he's been ministering to, We want to pay extra attention to it because if any of us, if we were given a final address to perhaps a group of people that we cared for and and loved and uh, we wanted to, to really bring them and share our hearts, we're going to say things that are important to them. And that's what Joshua is doing. And so he's focusing on the accomplishments of the Lord. He isn't focusing on himself. He isn't saying, look, all the great things I have done. But he's been talking about, look at the great things that the Lord has done. And once again, as he's sharing his heart with them, he's encouraging them that you guys follow after the Lord. Make sure that you're obedient to the Lord, as we saw in chapter 23, verse 6. And then he would say, make sure that you separate yourselves from the world, those Canaanite gods, in verse 7. And then thirdly, make sure that you, you continue in having a love and an affection for the Lord. And that's a real key for us. And he said that in verse 11. And I, as we've gone through this book, we have looked at those principles and we've looked at the truths in the whole theme of the book of Joshua, and that is how to enter into the fullness of the blessings and um, the abundant life that the Lord has for you and for me as we stand on his word, as we believe his word, as we're obedient to his word. But also the Lord desires for us to enter into his rest because at this time here that the children of Israel are experiencing rest. And the reason that they're experiencing rest is because right now that they're being obedient to the Lord because they're separating themselves from the Canaanite gods. They're not giving in to worshiping them and also that they have a true love for the Lord. But Joshua here in this address as we particularly get into chapter 24, he knows something's going on and he knows that right now that there's a turning trend that has taken place that really chapter 24 is a prelude to the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, we will see the children of Israel, that generation after Joshua, is going to turn towards those Canaanite gods. 
My prayer for us is that you and I just remember these simple truths that are spelled out to us here in the book of Joshua. How it is that we can come into the fullness and the richness of what God has for you and for me. The spiritual blessings that he desires for us to enjoy. And that is, Lord, I believe your word. I'm going to stand on your word. And I'm going to be obedient to your word, Lord. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to walk with you because, Lord, I know that your ways are true and your ways are good. And that we would be ones that in our lives, that even though we go through difficulties and we can go through hard times and we can go through turmoil and trouble, that we would have rest in the Lord because we are looking to him and knowing that, Lord, that you are working in my life. And, Lord, that you love me. You died. Your son died for me. And I know that if Jesus died for me because of his love for me, that he loves me now and he's going to work in my life. And I may not understand everything that's taken place, but I do understand this, that your word declares that you're going to work all things out for good for those who love you who are called according to your purposes. And so may we be ones that not only are we trusting in the Lord, but we are living in his love and in his rest, just resting in him, rest in our souls. Of course, as Jesus would say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will what? Give you rest. It doesn't come from any place else or from anyone else. It comes from him as we go to him and as we cling to him and as we just love him. And so those are the important messages and things that Joshua is just pouring out his heart here to the children of Israel. And now as we move into chapter 24, we read, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. So here is Joshua, gathers the tribes of Israel there at Shechem. Now Shechem is in the heart of the land. It was that valley, or near the valley, where the priest announced the blessings and the cursings. You remember in Deuteronomy chapters 28 and 29, there's the cursings and the blessings, Mount Ebal, Mount Gerasim, and um, there was the priest in between. They're in the valley of Shechem, and um, they would make that covenant with the Lord. And a covenant was very simple, and that is that the Lord said, if you love me and follow after me, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to bless the land, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to provide for you. But if you forsake me and go after other gods, then you're going to find yourself in bondage, you're going to find yourself in captivity, you're going to find yourself experiencing all kinds of terrible consequences, and there's going to be discouragement and discomfort and defeat that's going to come your way. And so the Lord, we have seen, has been saying this to the children of Israel over and over again and repeating it to them. And that's what Joshua here once again is going to remind them that the Lord has been good to us. And as we saw in chapter 23 in verse 14, that he says, not a word has failed that the Lord gave to you. All those good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has come to pass. Not one word has failed. And you know what? It's true with us as well. And that's why I love studying God's word. And that's why I love to, to be ones that, that, that were established in God's word because it brings certainty and it brings strength to us and it brings assurance to us. You see, there is so much uncertainty in the world today, isn't there? People are confused, they're uncertain, they're, they're, they're wondering. And you and I, as we are ones that we have God's word, that we can stand on it and know that it is certain and it is sure it is true. And it will bring us strength and wisdom and guidance. And that's why I love the word of God, because I can read it and I know that, Lord, what you have for me 
and the promises that you've given to me that not a word is going to fail because it is sure and it is certain. So here is Joshua again. He, he gathers them together and uh, he is going to give these last words to the children of Israel. In verses 2 through 14, he gives them kind of an account of their history. He says in verse 2, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on either side of the river in old times, and they serve other gods. So we know Genesis chapter 12. We remember that the Lord said to Abraham, to Take your wife Sarah and leave your father's house and uh, leave the land of the Chaldeans, and the Lord would bring Abraham into Canaan. And, of course, the Lord gave Abraham a promise at that time that, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants many, and I'm going to give you this land that, that you're coming into. And so it was Abraham that left that area on, as here is Joshua saying, on the other side of the river, talking about the river Euphrates in Chaldea, in Mesopotamia, in that area today which is called Iraq. And so there was um, the idol worship that took place and Abraham's fathers that were involved in that idol worship, but Abraham would hear the voice of the true and the living God saying, Abraham, separate yourself. Separate yourself from that and come to the land which I'm going to give to you. And then, of course, we saw that God made that covenant with Abraham that would go through and be confirmed through Isaac, his son, and then Isaac's son, Jacob. And that's what we begin to continue to read about. And so verse 3, And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir, to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And so we know the story in Genesis, don't we? How Isaac had two sons. Esau was the older, but he would end up serving the younger, and that was Jacob. The covenant would go through Jacob. It was Esau that was given a blessing. He was given an inheritance, and he is the father of the Edomites. And you recall that when the children of Israel, in their wilderness wandering, when they came up on the east side of the Jordan River, that they end up having to kind of go around, as we were looking at their route, around the Edomites, because the Lord said, you're not going to do battle with the Edomites, because you're, they're your brothers. And literally they were, because Jacob and Esau were brothers, and of course the Edomites being the descendants of, um, of Esau. And so um, here is Jacob, he would end up and uh, 70 of his family members in Egypt with Joseph. They would be in Egypt for those 400 years. Verse 5, I also sent Moses, or for 400 years they were there. I also sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterwards, I brought you out. And then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen into the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. Verse 8, And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt in the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, but I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel, and sent and called Balaam, the son of Peor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam, therefore he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hand. And then you went over to the Jordan and came to Jericho, and all the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites and the Parasites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the 
Gershaites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, but I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Also the two kings and the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your uh, bow. In verse 13, I have given you a land from which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. And so here given a summary of what they have gone through uh, when Jacob, after he went to Egypt, and uh, there was somebody that was teasing me as they had read chapter 24. They said, you know, we could have saved a couple years of going through Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomies and just read this chapter and been done with it. But we know that there's a lot of details in between, isn't there? And we saw that as they came out of Egypt after being there for 400 years, and they left in orderly ranks. And we read about in the book of Exodus how God parted the Red Sea, and they crossed on dry land and brought them to the mountain of God. And there God made a covenant with them and gave them the law. And, and there, as Moses is receiving the law, he would also receive the instructions to the tabernacle. And so the book of Leviticus, we saw the priestly ministry established uh, after the tabernacle was completed. We see all the details of the tabernacle there in the book of Exodus. And Numbers talks about the, the, the orders of, of the tribes and how they march and set up and what the responsibilities of the Levites were. And so many of those stories that we learn from, and then, of course, Deuteronomy, as it was Moses giving his final address, there to the children of Israel, Deuteronomy uh, being um, that final address of Moses, giving them the law before they would go into the promised land. And so they would go in, and you recall, it's interesting, just a couple things. He mentions Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, who arose to, to make war. And of course, Numbers chapters 22 through 25, we saw how Balak wanted to make war against Israel. He knew that he couldn't defeat them with an army, so he had hired Balaam to come and curse the children of Israel. And, of course, God would not let uh, Balaam curse the children of Israel. So every time he spoke, he would pronounce blessing upon them. And it's interesting that this keeps coming up, doesn't it? This, this Balaam and, and what uh, Balak did, it came up um, in chapter 22. You remember when there was this misunderstanding and Eleazar, or Phineas, the son of Eleazar, came and, and talked to those tribes on the east side and said, don't you remember? Don't you remember about Balak and Balaam? He mentioned it then. And so it was an important time and, and example of, of how God dealt with the children of Israel after you know, Balaam pronounced blessing, but Balaam went to Balak and said, listen, you introduce idol worship and you introduce immorality to the children of Israel. And that's what happened, as we read in chapter 25 of Numbers, and God would bring judgment upon the children of Israel. This is a reason why Joshua is bringing this up again. is because he knows something's up. And we're going to see about it in just a minute. But also we know that you recall in the book of Numbers that the Lord said, and also in the book of uh, Exodus, that the Lord said, when you go into the promised land, I'm going to drive the inhabitants out, and I'm going to send hornets and here that's mentioned again. And so the Lord, we know, used supernatural means to drive out the inhabitants, didn't he? We saw in chapter 10 he used hailstones, didn't he, to come down upon the Canaanites. And more were killed by the hail than they were by the swords of the children of Israel. We also know that the hornets would be sent in to drive out the Canaanites. Now, that must have been horrible, wasn't it? It, it had to be. 
I was looking at, you know, it's the time of year, it's finally warming up, and, you know, put out those hornet traps that you can get, and, um, you know, the hornets go up in there, and then they're trapped. And I got one out front and a couple out back, but I noticed when I went home this afternoon that the one out front was just full of hornets that, that had gotten up in there, and just big old things. And, and I remember last summer that I was moving a, a pot out in the garden area, and I got nailed by one of those hornets right in the hand and it hurt and I came in and Sue's like what's wrong with you and oh you know I thought I had to lay down and it stung I mean it really hurt you know and she's like you still hurting after an hour and my hand swelled up and all this but that was one I can't imagine a swarm coming in and and driving out the Canaanites what that must have been like so here the Lord, in his faithfulness, doing what he said that he would do. And, and, and Joshua is recounting their history because he's reminding them, first of all, that the work that God brought and, and, and did amongst them to bring him into this land, that he truly has been faithful. And he did what he said he was going to do. And now you have rest in the land. Remember that. And be faithful to the Lord. But verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt served the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Joshua knows something's going on. And he says to them, Here's the faithfulness of God. Here's the goodness of God. And here's what you need to do. You need to serve him. You need to fear him in sincerity and in truth. And you need to start putting away those gods, those idols that were served, that is Abraham's fathers, on the other side of the river and which you served in Egypt. Now we know from Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 7, it confirms what Joshua said. When they were in Egypt, they were involved in idol worship. And that's why they were so easily prone to when Moses was up on the mountain for those 40 days that the children of Israel said, what's happened to Moses? We don't know what's happened to him. Let's make a golden calf. And let's say this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. So they went back to what they had been used to. So they were involved in idol worship. And, and here Joshua is saying, those false gods that are amongst you, you need to put them away and you need to... Worship and fear God in sincerity and truth. And it's the same with you and I. And that's why knowing truth is so important. And we talked a little bit about this on Sunday morning when Paul's talking about our Christian liberty, that he says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. In other words, as we discuss, there is knowledge, but there's love that goes with it. And they do go together. And you and I in our Christian walk, we have knowledge. We are to walk in truth. We are to know truth. And it goes with love. And in the instance of Christian liberty, of course, that out of sensitivity and love to the weaker brother, there are certain things that we aren't going to be involved in. So, you know, they do go together in that, that, Lord, I want to know you, the truth. And that's why, how do we know truth? By the word of God. And as we know the word of God and we walk in that truth, and then we live in that love, our love for him and our love for other brothers and sisters. And this is what Joshua is saying, that you fear him, you serve him in sincerity and truth. You see, anything that is contrary to God, it is not truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say he was a truth. He says he is the truth. I am truth. You will know truth, and the truth will set you free. So 
sincerity and truth, knowledge and love, it all goes together. And so here is Joshua saying, you fear him, you serve him, put away those gods that are amongst you. And then in verse 15, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that are on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And in this last sentence here, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful verse? It's a verse that I'm sure that most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with. Joshua stands up, and this is what amazes me. He stands up and he says, listen, you guys need to choose who you're going to serve. If you're going to serve those gods on the other side of the river, you're going to serve those gods of Egypt, or you're going to serve the gods of the Canaanites, the Amorites. But here's the thing. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. And what intrigues me is Joshua had been doing that <laughs> for 60 years. But he stands up at, towards the end of his life and he says, we're going to continue. We, me and my house, we've made the choice. We've made the decision that we're going to serve the Lord. You see, every single one of us individually are going to have to make that decision who it is and what it is that we're going to serve. Are you going to serve that which is false, that which is, you know, not true, that of the world? Or are you going to serve the Lord? It reminds me so much of what in 1 Kings chapter 18, I believe, is what Elijah the prophet said to the nation of Israel. He said, listen, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? If Baal is God, then worship him. If the Lord Jehovah is God, then you are to fear him and worship him. But you've got a decision to make. And I know that, that we in this room, we've made the decision that we believe in God and we're going to serve the Lord. But I pray that we would individually and particularly us who are leaders, whether you're a leader in your home or, or you are a leader at work or whatever that might mean to you, those of us who are leaders in the church, that we would stand up and say, we are going to serve the Lord in sincerity and in truth, and we're not going to compromise. And how the world needs to see that, and how the Lord desires that there would be those who would come along and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And one of the things that I look at Joshua, I see that he was an incredible leader in the ministry that God had called him to do, in ministering to the children of Israel. I mean, he led all these people across the Jordan River, led them in the battle, led them into dividing up the land. He was an incredible leader, but he did not forget about his family. He says, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And I like that because he was a great minister and warrior and leader, but he was also that in his house as well. We are going to serve the Lord. We made that decision. And how the Lord is looking, I believe, particularly for men to stand up and say, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve God. In a world today where there is so much, that there is false and uncertainty, and there are so many voices out there and things that can distract us, what my prayer is for us, men, any of us, all of us, but I'm kind of emphasizing the men, that we would be like Joshua and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to honor the Lord in our home. And we're going to follow after the Lord. 
It reminds me of, of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, I love Nehemiah chapter 4. And here's Nehemiah, and they're building a wall around Jerusalem. And, and, and he stations the families in front of the homes where they are. And they got a trial in one hand, and they got a sword in the other hand. And there's the Tobias, and there's the, um, you know, others that are there on the wall trying to discourage the children of Israel and, and, and Nehemiah. The, that is the remnants that came back from the Babylonian captivity. And, and Nehemiah said, no, we're not coming off this wall. We're going to continue to stay up on this wall. And there's the Tobias and Sambalats that are there going, well, if a fox walks on the wall, it's going to fall down. And Nehemiah, he said to them, he said to those who are on the wall, he said, don't be afraid of those guys. Don't be afraid of them. But remember the Lord, he's great and awesome. And, and you fight for your brethren, and you fight for your wives, and you fight for your sons, and you fight for your daughters. And you see, that's why I'm emphasizing those of you who lead your homes, that we would be like Nehemiah and we would be like Joshua that stands up and says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care what the Tobias or Sambalats of the world have to say in discouraging or trying to get us away from serving the Lord and walking with the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. And I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for my family, for my wife, my sons, and my daughters in that, that the presence of the Lord is going to be in our home. And I'm going to protect my home as much as possible from the influences and that which is false, uh, influences of the world, uh, to protect and, and to be ones where the Lord is honored in my house and the word of God is being taught in my home. We are going to serve the Lord. And I'm going to get my family up and we're going to make it a priority that we're going to be in fellowship and in the word of God and we're going to honor the Lord and whatever that might mean for you in serving him. God is looking for leaders, for men, for all of us to make that determination. And Joshua, he stands up and he says, you guys need to choose. But me and my family, we've made that decision. And we're going to serve the Lord. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we would say the same thing. And so verse 16, he continues. It's this interesting dialogue that's going to take place between Joshua and the people. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God he is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So you listen to the response of the nation. It sounds good. They acknowledge God and his goodness and faithfulness. We're going to serve him. There's a lot of God talk. But we're going to see the response of Joshua. And I pray that we wouldn't be ones, any of us, or this church, that we, you know, we're a lot of God talk. But are we really committed to and devoted to the Lord in our lives? Are we really committed to each and every day saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I'm going to take on the responsibilities that the Lord has given to me and I'm going to, Lord, look to you to enable me 
to be that Christian man, that Christian woman that you want me to be. To stand fast, Lord, to hold fast to you, and to be strong and good courage, as Joshua was exhorted over and over again. Joshua, you be strong and of good courage. Joshua, be strong and of good courage. And that's my prayer for us as well. So here we see that you would think that Joshua would respond very favorably in verse 19. What we see is Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, for he is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. So here, it sounds like Joshua is being harsh, but here he's being very honest with them. He's reminding them that, you know what, you cannot serve those false gods. He is a jealous God. That is, God's not jealous of those false gods, but he's jealous for you. And he does not want you going after that which is false, that, again, is going to bring you into bondage and into you know, depression and into terrible, terrible consequences. Folks, one of the things that I hope that we always have the mindset of is, you know what, whether it's Christian liberty or, or walking with the Lord, being committed to the Lord, I pray that, that we never have the mindset of, Lord, how close can I get to the world and still be considered a Christian? There's a lot of that that seems to be in the church today. Or how close can you know, I be and, and be involved in these activities? No, my mindset is, Lord, how close can I get to you? Okay? How close can I get to you and pleasing you and living for you? And, and Lord, just honoring you and where I go and what I do and my behavior, my conduct and my speech. And, and Lord, I don't want to see how close I can get to the rocks before I crash the boat, you know? I want to be in that place of safety and security in you, Lord, and under the shadow of your wings. That's what I want to do. I want to grow in my love for you. And what my prayer is for this church more than anything is that there would be just revival that would take place in our hearts. That there would just be a, a, a longing to just love the Lord more and to know him more. That's what my prayer is for you, for your families, for me and my family, for this church. Lord, that there truly just be a move of revival, of desiring to, to just love you more and to know you more and to minister to others and to live for you and to serve you. Not to just go through the motions and be complacent and or whatever you know, we can easily get into. But Lord, each and every day, I want to love you more. And I want to be touched by you, Lord. And I want to be used of you. So here is Joshua. He, he knows what's going on in verse 21. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. In verse 23, now therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. He says, put away those idols. Put those idols away. He knows what's going on. And this is leading us now into the book of Judges where it's going to be a terrible, terrible time for the nation. As we get ready to close Joshua, 
I want to give us all something to think about. I am not a gloom and doom kind of preacher. I know what God's Word has to say about the last days. I'm a simple Bible teacher. I believe that we are in the last days, and I believe what Paul wrote to Timothy, that in the last days there are going to be perilous times. And I can just ask you the question, you know, as we look at our nation, see the children of Israel, as they go through 350 years of being in bondage and this cycle, and we'll explain and talk about a little bit next week, of the days of the judges where they are going to go after other gods, and they're going to find themselves going through terrible consequences. And, and the book of Judges is interesting. The theme of the book of Judges is they did what was right in their own eyes. And you're going to see the sin and the perversity is going to get worse and worse and worse as we go through this book until finally there was repentance right before the days of the kings. And they turned back to the Lord for a short time before they would fall back into idol worship again. But you look at our own nation and you can think, okay, as a nation, really honestly, are we on the right track? Are we as a nation going in the right direction spiritually, morally, financially? Are we headed on the right track or... There are some concerns that we have, isn't there? And I see that as our nation gets further away from God, that's what's going to make judges so powerful. We see what happens to a people, what happens to a nation when they get away from God and continue to do that and how it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And we're seeing that. And we see some great concerns for our nation and and where we're headed for the world as well. And that's why I'm emphasizing, folks, that God is looking for those who in the day in which we are living in and in the uncertainty and the path that we're on that are going to stand up in these days in which we're living in and saying, we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to be a light to this dark world and we're going to give truth and we're going to stand on truth. And I firmly believe that the ones that God is going to use in a powerful way in these days to be a light are those who are loving the Lord and grounded in His Word and giving truth to others. They're waking up every day and saying, I have opportunity to serve you, Lord, and be a witness. And Lord, to be an example of the reality of Jesus Christ in my life as I live for you. And how the world needs to see that. So I pray that tonight that we would say, yes, Lord, that's something that I desire. That, Lord, as you work in me and through me, a man or woman filled with the Holy Spirit of God and the love of God that has put away the things of the world and the idols of the world and is living for God, how he desires to use you in an incredible, wonderful way. So Joshua says, you know what? You need to put them away. In verse 24, the people said to Joshua, the Lord your God will serve, and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone, set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. 
And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for he has heard all the words of the Lord which he has spoken to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. And Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. So a large stone was set up, a stone of, of the witness, testimony of the covenant made with God. It's interesting, near Shechem, you can read about a large stone they excavated not long ago. Don't know if it's the same stone 3,500 years ago that Joshua wrote all these things on, but it was interesting. And so, verse 29, it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him within the borders of his inheritance at Timnath, Sarah, which is in the mountains of Ephraim, the north side of Mount Gaash. So the death of Joshua, notice here, he's called the servant of the Lord. Do you remember what Moses was called when he died? He was called the servant of the Lord. I just want to be known as the servant of the Lord. When the days of my life are over, I want to be known as one. Did I serve the Lord? And that was Joshua, faithful and serving the Lord, just walking with the Lord. And so verse 30, they bury, or verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elder, who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. The bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought out, out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground that Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, of which he had become an inheritance to the children of Joseph. So you remember Joseph, he's in Egypt. He, you know, when he died, his request was that you take my bones back to the promised land and that you would bury them. Well, it took a while to get that done, didn't it? 400 years in Egypt, they were. 40 years in the wilderness, 20 years. Now finally they get this done and they end up burying the bones of Joseph. And then as we finish the book of Joshua, and Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died, they buried him in the hill belonged to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. And so, Father, we thank you for this wonderful, wonderful book and the many lessons that we've learned. And, Father, I, I thank you that we can look at your word and know not a word will fail us. Father, I do pray that as we once again look at these principles and truths, our hearts tonight would be stirred. And Lord, if there's anything, idols or anything, that is not pleasing to you, that we are to put aside, that right now we would come to you and say, Lord, here's something that you've been convicting me of. Here's an attitude. Here's an activity. Here are things that I've allowed into my home that are not right. Here's compromise in my life. Here are the struggles that I have in this world. And that we would give it to you, Lord. We would confess it. Lord, we wouldn't make excuses. But Lord, that we would make that choice and that decision right now. That Lord, I want to serve you. And I want to fear you and I want to walk with you. Lord, we know we can't do that on our own. And I pray right now that you would fill your people with your spirit. 
Lord, that just as the disciples were told, that the Holy Spirit would come upon them to empower them to be witnesses. That how we need to be filled with your Spirit to be empowered. To, to lead and to walk in that Spirit-filled life. And that you would enable us to be the men and women that you desire for us to be in working in our hearts and in our lives, conforming us into the image of Jesus. That in these days of uncertainty where there is so much evil and darkness and that which can pull us away from truth and from you, Lord, I pray that we would be ones that are standing fast and holding fast to you, to your word, to your goodness, and that people would see the reality of Jesus in our lives. Father, I pray for those who tonight come in and perhaps are feeling downcast or have difficulties that they're facing. Lord, that they would know that you're a God that is good and desires to work. Father, as a community, as we hear of a nearby of a body being found and a family that's waiting word to see if it's their daughter. We pray for comfort for them. And Lord, we look at this and it, it shocks us how evil man can be. We grieve and we cry for our children, the crimes against them. And the direction that we're going as a nation. Father, we lift up this community that we would be a light on a hill. And that Christians in this community would stand and proclaim your goodness and your truth. Father, I pray for our nation, that our nation would repent and turn to you. Because just as we saw in Joshua, the Lord said, don't trust in chariots and don't trust in horses, but you trust in me. how we need you and the challenges that we face. A nation that was founded upon your truth and principles. How we need to turn back to that. Father, I pray for our young people that are here that you would bring protection and guidance and strength to them. As we see them growing up and many of them graduating from college, graduating from high school, even this week. Oh, Lord, I just lift them up to you. Keep them under the shadow of your wings. Guide them and direct them. And Lord, I pray that as we minister to our children here and our children at home, that they would be grounded in your truth and in your word. And I pray that there be revival in this church, a recognizing of you, that you are the true and living God, and a loving you, and a desiring to draw close to you, and people would see that, that we're just a group of people that loves Jesus. And Lord, that we would be a light and they would see the love of Christ being manifested through us. And they would see hope. 
that living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that that would take place even tonight as we speak. That our hearts being stirred and revival taking place and being refreshed, that it would spread. And and Lord, we wouldn't become complacent, especially in the day in which we're living in. That we would watch, we'd be sober and vigilant. Father, as we just worship you, I just pray that you'd minister to our hearts, that you would listen to our hearts as we give it to you and present our hearts before you like David would and say, search me and try me, Lord. That you would just minister to us as we know you're not through with us tonight in a very powerful way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going